Uh, we want to introduce you to Drew Timmer. Uh, Drew is here. Uh, he's, yeah. Drew is an applicant for our worship leader position, and we welcome him this morning. We also want everyone here to feel welcome, so go ahead and stand. Make sure you shake a hand or give a fist bump so that people know that they are, are welcome here in this place. As we get into our, our morning of worship together, I just want to share some, some thoughts with you. Uh, good morning, first of all. It's so, so great to be with you. Uh, glad to be here. We get to worship Jesus, the risen King. Amen? I don't know what you're coming in with this morning. Church can be a place where you can drop all your burdens. There's a lot going on in our world right now, and if I... I could guess there's probably a lot going in your life on in your life too and uh, we have a king who can step in and help who can be with us through the the pains and the struggles through the trials through the things that we face in this life he's with us we're not alone I want to just share a scripture this morning it comes out of the prophet Isaiah it's 41 verse 10 and it says this so do not fear for I'm with you do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, these are words that God spoke to the prophet Isaiah to speak to the ancient Israel in a time of, of chaos and turmoil and confusion. And the people were worried and fearful. And God's voice spoke to them and said, you don't need to be fearful. I'm with you. I'm with you in all these things. That's our king. He's with you today. He can help you in all of your situations and all the stuff. So if you're just feeling like today, I need some rest. I'm carrying a lot. There's a lot going on in my life. And while just even watching the news, there's a lot going on. It's a little scary sometimes. God is with you. You're not alone. And he wants us to be courageous so we can be fearless with him. We're going to sing a song this morning called King of Kings, and it just reminds us of the story. Jesus, our, our risen Savior, went to the grave and rose from the dead, and we can have life in him. So would you join us as we sing this song together? Praise the 
Till that stone was moved for good, for the Lamb had conquered death, and the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who come to the Father are restored, and the church of Christ was born, and the Spirit lit the flame. Now this gospel Faithful now, and I know that I know you never. 
make giants fall. You use songs of praise to shake prison walls. I will speak to my fear. I will preach to my doubt. You were faithful then. You'll be faithful now. Cause you make mountains move. You make giants fall. You use songs of praise to shake prison walls. I will speak to my fear. Oh, a seat and kids all the way up to fifth grade today can head on over and meet Miss Laurie and Pastor Aaron over there for Sunday school. What's up friends? Hey. And then Israel left Egypt. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to have to like clear this quarter of the gym just, just for prayer. This is awesome. Well, hi, friends. You doing good this morning? Yeah? Guess what? The sun is shining. It's awesome. Well, let's pray together this morning, okay? Pray with me, if you will. God, you are an awesome God. You are the King of kings, and you are faithful. And I pray this morning, God, we pray this morning together that these little friends of ours, Lord, your children, God, we're all your children, but these children, our friends, God, will continue to grow in knowing you as a king, as a faithful father who loves them and has given his life for them. God, I pray that they'll, they'll know how much you are holding on to them, and, and God, how you are with them no matter what they face. So Lord, teach them this morning, lead them, bless them with your goodness and your presence through the Holy Spirit and in the good news of Jesus, our Lord and Savior and friend. And it's in his name we pray. And all God's children said, amen. amen. See everybody. Amen. Hey, we invite you to stand again with us as we sing a song, getting ourselves ready to hear the word. Jesus died. 
Well, and again, good morning to y'all. God's grace and peace uh, be with you. As we're uh, diving into this week, I just want to give one heads up. This week starts the season of Lent, a time where that leads us into the cross, helps us realize our mortality um, and also our need for Jesus. And so to kick off Lent, we celebrate Ash Wednesday together, and we'll be doing that over in the Red Brick Building in the sanctuary at 6 o'clock. There will be uh, a a light meal uh, before that if you want to join us, but uh, certainly want to invite you to spend some time with us. Uh, Drew, again, good to have you here. Stephanie, good to have you here joining us uh, this morning. So it's been awesome to continue to get to know you, um, but again, to have your leadership to join us as a team uh, this morning. We appreciate it. So and then it's also uh, a blessing to have Luke sharing God's word. He's, he's doing this a second time. So kudos to you for, you know, you tried once, and number two, you came back for more. So um, as we uh, get ready, though, to hear God's word, let's, let's dive into some prayer this morning. God, we thank you for how you have chosen us and not forsaken us. And that's the good news. That's the gospel for the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, he gave Jesus, you gave your life so that whoever believes in you shouldn't perish but have eternal life. God, in, in what we need on our part is, is simply faith. To put ourselves, let ourselves, allow ourselves to be caught up in that story. To allow ourselves to find our identity in you. To let your life become our life. So God, as we've been singing, we've been praying already, Lord, we've been worshiping you, I pray that through your spirit we're breathing in that life this morning. That already there's some encouragement. Doesn't mean it makes the rest of our, our, our times, our, our days, our moments any less hard. Doesn't mean that what we're going through in life isn't any less challenging. But to know you're with us. To know that we can persevere in you and through you. To know that you give us a sustaining strength and power and grace in the midst of it all. That even though we walk in the valley of the darkest shadow, of the valley of death, Lord, death casts its shadow. Sin casts a shadow of brokenness and pain, challenge of heartache. God, we know that we're with you and you're with us. And you even prepare a table for us in the presence of evil in this world. That's the power of you. It's it's not simply that you win. We know one day you're going to win. We know you've already won in the cross and in your resurrection. But but in that meantime, where we've got one foot in glory with you in your kingdom and one foot on this earth, we we know, God, that we, in the midst of the trials, the the challenges, there's joys, there's hope, there's goodness, there's grace, there's kindness, there's you. And then there are others who are wrapped up in you. So God, thank you that we can be a church today. Lord, we're always the church, but we can be together. Thank you across this campus that Celebration, Fusion, other communities are are part of our family, God, together. That we can be encouraged and and Lord, we we can spur each other on towards love and deeds, as Hebrews reminds us. Lord, thank you for other brothers and sisters, communities of faith around this Holland and Zealand, this West Michigan 
area that are, again, being encouraged, that are looking to you for our life, our hope. Lord, that we all can be communities where people are being changed and transformed. They're they're learning of the freedom found in you. They're learning that there's a friendship with this God who loves them, and there's friendship with others, and that there's a peace, a rest, a shalom. God, thank you that there are churches around the world. God, this morning, as I think about the reality of life, I think first of what's going on in Ukraine and for Russia and Lord, we know this. We, we know that President Putin, the leaders of Russia that are making these decisions, need to know you, Jesus. That's the only way the hardness of heart can be broken down. The abuse of power can be laid to rest, is in knowing you. Lord, even as I pray that this morning, I feel anger, I feel frustration. I see some of that even in our own communities of power misused. But I know that, God, our prayer for even those we might think of as our enemies is that one day they become our brother and sister in faith. Because that's what you do. You make our enemies our friends. You change lives radically. And right now, those who are in charge in Russia who are Abusing that power need to be changed. So break down the walls in their hearts, in their minds, and in their lives. God, help us as a people committed to you and know your commitment to this world. To people, be people who don't spout hatred, but actually proclaim the goodness of love and grace because we know only that will change and transform hearts. Break down those walls, Lord, for the Ukrainian people that are resisting. Lord, for those that are trying to hang on to their homeland who think that um, having to fight and give up their life is better than the alternative. Protect them. Lord, may nations surround and support. Lord, may there be truly a peace, a ceasefire, even as we speak. You know, over the night, the city, the capital has been able to withstand. And so, God, continue to please support. Lord, for for those Ukrainians who are caught in the middle of it, for those Russians who are saying, this wasn't our decision, and they're caught in the middle of it. See, Lord, that's the thing. It is, this all just gets messy. And so we continue to look to you to be our hope and our peace, to be their hope and peace. God, that's far away here in our own community. I think about brothers and sisters this week. I think about Sean, Helene. I think about Phil. I think about Dan. Lord, uh, brothers and sisters right now who are dealing with cancer. Various stages, various treatments. We need you to break down walls in a totally different way here. We need you who are the great physician to bring healing and life. Lord, for you to, whether it's through the the power of your spirit working miraculously in ways that are just totally un, we can't understand it. Whether it's through those you've gifted to become doctors and nurses and and medicines. God, uh, we pray for healing for our brothers and sisters. We pray for their families as they work and walk through this with them. 
Lord, we think about the movies and, and just as they walk with their brothers, he's getting the help that he needs, Lord, as they're supporting him and walking with him and, and loving him. God, I pray for a restoration. God, addictions can be damaging. They can tear us down. They can destroy not only our lives, but the lives of others. And Lord, we know that addictions are strong. They're a power that's beyond the person. And so again, we look to you who is powerful to break those things down. Lord, these are some of our prayers. I could go on and on today, but here's the good news. So you know every circumstance of our hearts. You know every thought, every mis- word misspoken, every thought where we have put someone down and refrained and yet struggled with the guilt of, oh, why did I think that way? Lord, to the countless other things in our lives that are challenging us. God, thank you that you're with us in here. God, as we come into your word now this morning, thank you that we have your word. and It's special. It's, it's, it's holy, set apart to speak your life into us. And so, Lord, I pray that you do that. I pray that you, you gift Luke, Lord, with the words that you want spoken just at this time. God, I, I thank you for the energy and the time he's, he's given already in, in preparing. I know the hours. I know what it, what it feels like, too, sometimes to just carry that with you. And I pray that you would free him today, free him in his spirit, to just let your spirit speak. And that we, God, we're responsible to listen. It's not his responsibility to change our hearts. That's not possible. It's, it's our responsibility to listen to your spirit speaking. So God, change us, transform us, encourage us in your word. Again, Lord, these are some of the prayers that we pray this morning. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you for being with us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, amen. Luke, you ready? Otherwise, I'm preaching and I don't know. <laughs> I think it has to be. Yeah. So thank you. You got it. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you, Aaron, and thank you, Drew. It's pretty much all downhill from here. Uh, but I want to steal my own thunder right away um, because the title of this is You're Worth Everything to God. And... I want you to think that when you leave here and to think that when you lay your head on your pillow tonight and when you wake up tomorrow morning. Um, and if that's not your first thought in the morning, that's okay. But maybe by the time your feet hit the ground, you'll remember that you are worth everything to God. These parables are short that we're looking at today. The parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl. Three verses covering two parables. So the words that Jesus uses are important. He chose them intentionally, and he meant to communicate a certain message. He wasn't just talking to hear himself talk. He chose his words wisely and intentionally to communicate a message that we can hear today 2,000 years later. And you're worth everything to God is not my words to you. Those are Jesus' words to you, and that's what I want to show you today. So, by way of illustration, I have a friend who has a coworker, 
and his coworker uh, went on a work trip to Honduras, uh, which is a place where I have some experience, and I ha- got into many, many uh, situations by incorrectly using the wrong words, and but none of my stories are quite as good as his, so I'm going to steal his. So he went to Honduras for about a week for work, and throughout the week, people would say, do you speak Spanish? Um, in Spanish, of course. So he would answer them back with what he thought he was saying, un poco, which means a little. And that would be a normal response to say. However, every time he said it throughout the week, people just kind of, like winced, and that was kind of the end of the conversation. Um, And he couldn't figure it out. And none of them could figure it out either. None of them explained to him what he was doing wrong. Um, Instead of saying un poco, when people said, do you speak Spanish? He was saying un pollo, which means a chicken. So throughout the week, he's responding to a very normal question with a very strange answer. Do you speak Spanish? The chicken. But the Spanish-speaking people who were hearing this, I th- my theory is it's a bilingual person who helped them figure it out at the end of the week. Because for a Spanish-speaking person who doesn't know English, un poco and un pollo are as different in their minds as a little and a chicken are in our minds. Just because the letters are the same doesn't mean that that's in the same place in their brain. For me, I, I can get it, I can understand it, and I could explain to this poor soul what he was doing all week. Um, but he didn't know until the end, and I'm so glad somebody caught him on it so they could explain it to my friend to tell me. And Franz Kafka is famously quoted as saying, all language is but a poor translation. So what he means by that, what I take him to mean by that is that as spiritual beings, we speak soul to soul, right? When I'm trying to communicate something to you, I'm trying, I have this idea in my head, in my heart, in my soul, that I'm trying to communicate to you. Words are just a medium that we use to communicate. And then how you receive it will ultimately translate into something different in your soul. And even this quote is a translation, right? Kafka's German, so he would have written it in German. And I don't know if it's more eloquent in German or less eloquent, but it's pretty eloquent in English, I think, and I think I get the spirit of what he's saying. So what we're looking at today, these parables, this is an English translation of the Greek that Matthew would have written it down in as he recalled Jesus saying these words in Aramaic, right? And it's 2,000 years later. So if we can get to the heart of this message, it's not the work of humans keeping track of things over time and doing a good job translating. This is a miracle of the Holy Spirit that we can tune into. So it is with that humility that I'd like us to approach our text today. So you can open your Bibles or devices if you have them or not, or just follow along, that's fine. My trick, what I like to do, I'm using the NLT here. I like to open the NLT and follow along with that when um, Aaron's preaching from NIV or something normal, Uh, because the NLT has a few little quirks to it. 
So uh, we'll pop up, uh, we'll point out one of those, but it gives more context. These words that are important, uh, we don't always understand them, or an English word might be uh, insufficient to give us everything that is packed into the words from other languages. So let's read from Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. So my NLT study Bible says this, another mystery of the kingdom is that its value exceeds all other treasures. And so everything should be forfeited to acquire it. So that should do it, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my kids. Uh, we can leave a little bit early for Russ's. Of course not. That's a joke. You're like, Russ's didn't even open on Sunday. I know you're thinking that. And this isn't bad. This isn't wrong. One other note about Russ's. My daughter calls it Russ. Have you seen their sign? R-U-S-S apostrophe. It's Russ. Dad, can we go to Russ? The words we use and the way we write them down are important, right? But this, this isn't wrong. It's not bad. It's true. It's actually true. It's just incomplete. And that's not just my idea. Um, you see this idea in commentaries. You see this idea in our Scandalous Stories book. Um, you see it when you call your pastor and say, hey, I'm preaching on this passage, and I think I want to say this. And he says, no, you should say this. Uh, it, this is not my idea. These things, uh, this message has been spoken in other places. So one bad way in my mind to put a pin in it is just to summarize it like that and then move on. Um, Let's try another bad way to analyze it. Uh, Because we are looking at something ancient and Eastern with with a Western lens. So one other way to do that poorly is to break it down into its little bits, look at the little pieces, and then try to put it back together again into something bigger so that we understand how it works so that we control it and master it and we we can handle it and we know the pieces and we put them together and we feel in control. So the first parable, the treasure starts out, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Okay, clear enough. Kingdom of heaven is valuable. Man discovered hidden in a field. So it implies that it's hard to find um, yes, you know, we're supposed to work out our faith with fear and trembling. Uh, we, you know, we're here that we may grope around and find God. I, okay, maybe. But it's starting to get a little funny. In his excitement, this is where NLT is different. Uh, most of the other translations say joy in his joy. So isn't it nicer to have an understanding of joy and excitement together? That's really what Jesus was uh, trying to imply, I think. Um, so we should experience joy when we find it. All right. Um, I'll go with that. But then he hid it again. So this does not jive. It completely breaks down this methodology here. 
because if we have the kingdom of heaven, we're not to hide it, right? I don't think you can even, I mean, maybe guard for it, care for it, uh, steward it. I could see that, but not hide it. It breaks there. So the man sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. It should replace all else. I understand it being above all else, before all else, but I don't see it replacing all else. God doesn't tell you to ditch your family and quit your job and drop all your commitments. I mean, in some cases, some things have to go, but God plans to invade those elements of your life, not ditch them. Um, So the second parable, the pearl. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. Well, a merchant has special knowledge, special privilege, special access to places as he goes about and trades pearls and other things. We don't have to bring anything to the table to discover the kingdom of heaven. So, a little bit of problem with the kingdom being the merchant. On the lookout for choice pearls. So, we got to work toward it. Yes, but this implies that our efforts might pay off when we discover a pearl of great value, and it's not our efforts that get us um, an understanding of the kingdom. And this guy, he sold everything he owned and bought it too. So it gets rid of everything else instead of invading everything else, which would really be a more complete understanding, I think. So our modern Western analysis kind of breaks down when we look at it this way. It doesn't work on these parables, which are ancient and Eastern. The, the, they both start out, the kingdom of heaven is like, a lot of the parables start out that way. And the key understanding there is it's not the next word. The kingdom of heaven is not like the treasure. The kingdom of heaven is not like the merchant. The kingdom of heaven is like everything that comes after that. So listen to this whole story, then decide that maybe you can try to interpret that. Listen to the whole thing. It's not the first thing, which would be a Western analytical way to approach it. I would like it if it was that way, by the way. That would feel more natural to me. But that's not it. It's like everything that follows after. Um, It reminds me of Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when Aslan's talking about, Aslan comes back after being killed by the White Witch. He's explaining to the children about the deeper magic, right? So, The witch was able to kill Aslan because she knew the deep magic that was written on the stone table. She had the right to kill him and take his life, but she didn't know that he would come back because Aslan knew the deeper magic from before the dawn of time. And if you think that's a little fantastical or a little silly, uh, I point you to Matthew 13, 11, earlier in the same chapter, um, the disciples are asking Jesus, why do you speak in parables? And I think they're frustrated. I think they're like, dude, just tell us, right? Why are you speaking in parables? And he goes on a little exchange, um, which you, you can read it for yourself. He actually references Isaiah. Drew, thank you for bringing us into today with Isaiah Um, Just beautiful. And any time that Jesus references Isaiah, you should be scared because he does so in the um, temple when he overturns the tables. He does so when he first gets up to preach in Luke 4. 
and they, they try to kill him then, actually. Um, so if Jesus is calling back to Isaiah, which I'm sure he does more than those times, um, it's time to pay attention. So what he says in this exchange, before he gets to referencing Isaiah, is you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on to address his disciples more after that than everybody else. So he's talking about the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. So the deeper magic from Narnia is nothing compared to the real, the fantastical, wild secrets of the kingdom of heaven from before the dawn of time, which are going to outlast time itself. This is real life, not a story. And from our book, Scandalous Stories, on the chapter on um, the hidden treasure, it's put this way. The kingdom of God isn't a quest man is able to embark upon. He cannot find it, build it, or enter it on his own. The kingdom of God is God himself on a rescue mission in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's the holy invasion of heaven to earth. So don't miss this because this is the difference between Christianity and every other religion. This is grace. This is humanity not having to work toward God, but God working toward humanity. It's fundamentally different than anything you'll hear anywhere else. As are these parables, right? The way we want to think about it, we want to be the central character in the story. Uh, We want to be the man who finds the treasure. We want to be the merchant who finds the pearl. It makes more sense that way. It's a lot easier to digest. It goes with my expectations of what it should be. But there's a dead giveaway in these stories. Uh, At the end, what happens with the treasure? And what happens with the pearl? Where does it end up? Just in the possession of the man. In the possession of the merchant. That's it. If I have treasure or a valuable pearl, as a human, as a smart human, I'm going to sell it. And I'm going to use the money to do something. I'm going to accumulate more wealth. I'm going to uh, buy uh, earthly pleasures. I'm going to indulge. I'm going to use that stuff. It's uh, expendable, right? It's something to be used. But in this story, in these stories, the treasure and the pearl are something to be had. And that's it. So in this story, in these stories... The man who finds the treasure is Jesus. And the specially trained merchant is Jesus. So if those things are Jesus, where does this leave us? Well, you're the treasure, right? You're the pearl. In Jesus' own explanation of the kingdom of heaven, you are worth everything to God. And I don't say this from a place of having figured it out or dealt with it entirely myself. Uh, That message of being known, being seen, being understood by God is still something that I work through today. You know, I was five when I 
accepted Jesus into my heart, but, which is great. Um, but I was really 31 before I told Jesus, all right, I'm going to follow you primarily. You're going to be the first thing. And, I, and six years later, because I'm 37, I know that's not what my face says, but I'm 37 years old. Uh, I still struggle with that today, even in the past few months. God has, is revealing to me, partly through this process, that um, feelings of self-worth and self-criticism are an ongoing struggle and something that God is working on actively in his ongoing redemption. Um, so, you can, th- I mean, this breaks down beautifully into a number of different ways to see it. If you're lost, if you're feeling hidden or unseen or buried or covered in dirt, God finds you. He digs you up. He brushes you off and he makes you his own so he can have you, not so he can do something with you, just so he can have you and be with you. And the same is true with the pearl. Even when you are seen, even when you are seen and we see each other here today, none of us see each other the way God sees us. And the way God sees us, he knows our true value. He's the specially trained merchant who has the special knowledge that understands that you are a pearl of inestimable value. Inestimable. I knew I was going to mess that word up. Pearl of great value. That's you. And that's me. And you don't just figure that out one day. It takes a lifetime of going through that. But it's only from that place. That's the only place where you're going to end up being where you're going to understand that this freedom, friendship, and rest that's really intended for us. We have to live from this place of being valued. That's it. That's the only place. We're not, you're not going to experience freedom. You're not going to experience friendship. You're not going to experience rest unless you first let yourself be valued. And these are our watershed values and our heart awake vision. If you want to go do something for God, if you're actually going to do something, um, you need to, if we're going to help others join in this journey of being found, informed by, and following Jesus, we're going to have to do it from a place of being valued ourselves. So that's what I leave you with today. Um, It's the only thing that's important for you to understand is that God pursues you, God values you, God loves you more than anything you could ever offer him. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more, and there's nothing that you can make God do to love you any less. You're simply loved. So, during this week, when, uh, when, there's a, when you're feeling uh, self-doubt or pause or Um, unsure of anything, just remember that you are worth everything to God. Those are God's words explained by Jesus, his message for us today. You're worth everything to God. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and this time and your word, your timeless word that speaks to our hearts today. God, as we go about our weeks as we all go to different places from here, may your word remain with us, that you value us, that you see us, that you know who we are, 
in spite of ourselves and because of ourselves, you value us and you love us. And we are everything to you. And you will get rid of everything to be with us, not to use us for some end, but just to be with us, God. Let us rest in that knowledge. Whenever the world tells us that we're not valuable, whenever thoughts, self-critical thoughts of what other people think of us invade our uh, identity, our, our thoughts of ourselves, our self-critical spirit, come in with your grace and your passion to remind us that we are worth everything to you, that you created us to be just as we are, and you created us to be with you. Thank you, God, for being the type of God that you are. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I right, invite you to stand and sing with us one more time.
good God who calls us good out of his love for us. Luke, as you're preaching and just brought to mind a, a conversation we had as, as pastors this last uh, podcast about a, uh, enoughness. And all around us, we're looking for our enoughness, our worth in things and people and relationships, and especially in relationships. And the danger in that is, is when we use others for our enoughness, we never allow others to be who they are, right? And then we abuse and we use those relationships for something they're not supposed to be. And the reality, the goodness of the gospel that Luke shared with us this morning is you're enough. In Christ, you're enough. I don't know about you, that's just good news. It's something I want to rest in each and every day. I pray that you can rest in this week. And I pray that that good news then flows out of you to others. Because that's the gift we have to give as we follow Jesus. Say, hey, you're enough. So go with that good news today and receive again this blessing of our God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, his smile upon you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and all God's children said, Amen. Go in peace. If you don't mind stacking a few chairs, we always appreciate that. <laughs>